In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A lot of us humans are very competitive. We like to make everything into a competition. Maybe not all of us. Maybe we don't recognize it. We do it with smaller things. But yet competition is a very common thing that you and I might share with each other. There are good and healthy ways of competing and there are unhealthy competitions. For example, sports. Sports is most of the time a good way of exhorting competition, right? It makes us train our bodies, train our minds, right? To get into good shape and to compete to win a prize, right? Hopefully everything stays clean and good within the sport and there's no other bad things going on. But yet sports is not inherently wrong. And yet there's also academics, school. There's a lot of competition trying to get into a really good school, a really good program. Right? And you try and you work really hard, you study really hard, you're very disciplined and you're competing for a greater goal, for a greater good. The good of education, the good of, of knowledge, the good of using that and giving it back to others. Right? So, that, so there are good examples of competition. But yet there are also very unhealthy ones where competition becomes a very prideful thing. Prideful in the sense that whatever we're doing, that we're competing with, it becomes about me, and it becomes that I am better than you. That attitude. For example, having trying to acquire more and more money so that you can say, I have more money than this person. Thinking that we're better. Or more friends. I have more friends than you. Or things like social status, where we focus so much on our reputations for the purpose of showing it off to others, flaunting it to others, just so that we can have the sense of pride that we think that we're better than them. And that's very dangerous, that's very unhealthy. That's very damaging to us and to everyone that's around us. And this human condition of competition, right, this kind of false sense of it, it even exists in the lives of the apostles. Well, why? Well, when we read the gospel for today, we see the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They go to Jesus and she speaks on their behalf, right? They're not even uh, meant enough to ask Jesus themselves. They have to have their mom go and ask Jesus. And what do they ask him? What does she ask him? She says, command that these two sons of mine may sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Right? 
they completely forget what Jesus said like two sentences before about his passion prediction, that he's going to be delivered to the Gentiles and to be mocked and to be scourged and to be crucified. Right after this, she asked this question. They completely forget about the cup that he's gonna drink, that is at the cross, the suffering he's about to endure. Right? They forget about it and they seek a shortcut. They want the glory, they want the, the seat next to the Father. And there's a whole, there's 10 other apostles there, right, who feel like that was messed up. Right? They were indignant toward them for asking this because they want to be superior. They wanted to be better. But Jesus corrects them, shows them that if you're going to want, if you're going to want this, you're going to have to drink the cup that I am to drink. It's, and they don't know it yet. Jesus doesn't reject the idea of greatness in the kingdom of God. He doesn't reject the idea of feeling a competition to want to be first in the kingdom. He rejects the idea of the way that comes about through selfishness, through superiority. No. The way that we can be first in God's kingdom is by being last. It's by being a slave. It's by being a servant of God and a servant of others. A slave doesn't exist for himself. The purpose of a slave is to completely exist for somebody else. That's why the, the language here is, is so harsh. But it's not a slave out of, without our own free will choosing it. We're choosing to be a servant. We're choosing to be obedient to God. We're choosing to serve and to love and to give. And that choice that we have to make is how we're going to be great in the kingdom of God. It's how we're going to inherit it. But the path of service comes with a lot of suffering. It comes with the cup. The cup of salvation given to Christ on the cross. It means a cruciform discipleship. It means denying ourselves, denying our pleasures, denying our desires, denying, rejecting the idea that we're better than anybody. And instead of denying, instead of falling into that habit, what must happen is that we need to understand that we're a community united through the body of Christ. We should be lifting each other up praying for each other always, loving each other always, serving each other. That's what we're called to do. And the primary example for us is Christ himself, who as we read at the very end, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus completely lived for all of us. He shed all his blood for all of us. He is our example. And if we wish 
to inherit God's kingdom, if we wish to have a seat in God's kingdom, then we must become like Christ. We must become a servant. We must imitate Him in everything that we do. Amen.